When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. What often happens is, within many sports, is we have this chat pre-season, all these great words go on as trust, honesty, commitment, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, the only time you'll speak about that again is when things go horribly wrong. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name's Coach Yas, a performance coach, content creator and founder of The Coaches Network. And today's episode is going to be part of our how-to series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests, break down some actionable how-to steps to help you reach your full potential. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yes, and you're joining us today for the latest episode of our How To series. Today, we've got Mark Bennett with me, very special guest. Mark is a creator of performance development systems with PDS Systems. He spent over 30 years developing a need centered coaching approach, supporting coaches to maximize the performance and engagement of their athletes. Good morning, Mark. How are you? I'm awesome, thank you. Just finished the dog walk, so I'm ready to go. Good stuff. Well, if I don't want to waste any time, would you mind just going straight into, um, for myself and the listeners, around who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, my principle has been um, finding ways, and I've spent the last 30 years of my passion for identifying ways that actually we can make ourselves redundant as coaches. So what can we do to influence um, athletes at any level, any age, from grassroots young kids all the way up to fully international professional teams? to get them to be able to be aware of their state, self-manage it, understand the game, make effective choices live, and be able to actually commit to good choices under any type of pressure and review them live uh, and adapt based on the situation as opposed to relying on the coach. So how can we develop those cultures and what tools does a coach need to be self-aware to understand what to do in the right moment and how to do it to have maximum impact with the athletes is working with or she's working with so they don't rely on you so they're not what i call rubbernecking i.e they do something and they're looking over for coach for some feedback 
Mm. That's the short version, if that makes sense. Yeah, and just you know, just on that, it's quite a, quite a modern approach um, in terms of, I guess, essentially creating independent play, uh, athletes uh, to make decisions for themselves because of maybe the technical and tactical understanding of whichever, uh, I guess, respective sport they're playing within. Where did that come? You know, where did that thought process come from? You to kind of maybe explore that a little bit further because you have been doing it for the last thirty years. What was the yeah, yeah. It it came from me realizing when I thought I was good, I had one of those light bulb moments and realized I was not very good. So that came from I was I joined the army in nineteen eighty three, um, expecting everyone to be fit and motivated, and I had a bit of a shock that most weren't. Most were quite unfit and not very motivated. I ended up going down and doing the British Commando Corps and then becoming a physical training instructor. So after the first Gulf conflict in early 90s, I got promoted into a recruit training centre as a physical training instructor where we had recruits for 10 weeks. And each each platoon had a physical training instructor and you could do whatever physical development you wanted to. And at the end of the 10 weeks, you do log race, endurance courses, obstacle courses, etc. as a competition against the others. And for the first year or so, my my platoons won every single competition easily. So I'm thinking I'm awesome. I'm a great instructor. And then the light bulb came when um, one of the parents on a pass off parade came up to me and said, oh, my my son doesn't stop talking about you. You've really changed his life. And all of a sudden I realized I'd also changed the life of every recruit that had not passed in that had returned back to civilian life. So I started the question, am I only any good at actually following that if I give you the right technical tactical if I give you the right knowledge and skills you'll just keep up with me but was I any good at developing the people that didn't have the traits that prevent them from being engaged to be mentally robust to help them make decision making self-discipline motivation how to interact and accept feedback from others I realized I was pretty useless at that so I decided then that was early 90s that I needed to either change my job or change how I did my job so I, I went on this journey and you can imagine, Yaza, that in the military, after being very successful and being seen as the man, you know, commando trained, fit, robust, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I was attempting to change and I started to lose a couple of competitions. You can imagine the lack of support I had from anyone around me. I mean, remember, this was before internet, yeah. so I had no one to turn to, but I believed it was the right thing to do. So over a period of time, it took about, you know, six, eight months. I started to get the results again. I started to win the competitions, but I had bigger numbers passing in. So I knew I was onto something, but I didn't know what it was. So it took, I'd say, another six, ten years for me to figure out, to explain it to people what it is. But then my next light bulb went on. When uh, late 90s, 2000, I started to work on my holidays, leave weekend with um, Super League rugby teams, premiership rugby teams. And I had them for pre-season and we were getting real positive shift in the players. But then when they were going back into their environment without me, they were regressing back to their normal behaviours before. So I then realised actually it's no good me being able to do and explain what I do. What I need to do is find a way to develop other coaches so they can do it without me. Mm. So that took initially another six years to get my head around that. And then it's been fine-tuned and fine-tuned. Up until I'd say the last 10 years, although it's always been fine-tuned the how-to, I'm, I've developed a very, very robust approach now. So I've had, I've had success across um, in, in the States, around the world, on online with teams from – I'm going into inner-city schools as well, help developing disengaged, disruptive kids. I've been lucky enough to work NBA, um, England rugby, premiership rugby, all the way down to grassroots in over 30 sports now, many Olympic medalists. So – 
I know the system works now, but it's more about actually developing self-awareness in the coach to understand what is good coaching and then how can I get the players that I'm working with or the athletes to understand that. Then how can I shift the behavior change in myself and have the tools myself to know how to shift the behavior in my athletes so when they're unsupervised, when I'm not watching or when the pressure comes up, they don't regress. So when you said independent, yes, or actually what I, my process is interdependent. So we want athletes to be able to actually, yes, self-manage and make decisions and self-evaluate themselves, but also be able to scan other teammates and know how to have an effective impact with them. But importantly, how to accept feedback from others of peers and actually act on that feedback as opposed to have that defensive push away. So the interdependency and also how to openly interact and have quality dialogue with coach and not just say what they think coach wants to hear um, is, is one of those critical elements in that growth as well. And you touched, you touched on right at the start of that, you know, that you observed that there were some characteristics that you saw that, you know, felt that you, that you felt that maybe the work that you wasn't doing wasn't as uh, effective as you thought it was. Yeah. What were some of those characteristics that led you to seeing that um, you or led you to believe that you weren't as successful in supporting those? Yeah, so there was uh, there was a couple of big ones. Um, and if I, I want, what I want to do is answer that question by at that time what I observed, because obviously I, I know a lot more now. But at that time, what I observed was the people that um, did well and were successful had a different way to uh, into into. Uh, to reflect, to interpret the situations they were in. So an example would be that when there was a tough day and people were getting fatigued or it was wet and it was cold, the people that tended to pass were the people that interpreted that in an effective way and kept going. The people that didn't do well and eventually giving up actually reflected in an ineffective way and started to have a negative spiral or give up or so for me, that was like the big one is what, why do some people in certain situations when the pressure goes on or it gets tough or things don't go the way you want or the things you need to do that you don't want to do, some people do it and carry on. And some people, the great ones, actually turn that around and see that as a positive. And some people negative spiral where they give up or they, they actually, ne that negatively influences their next situation and they go into this low performance environment become disengaged so for me that was the big one that i noticed that was the one that was the thing that i thought this is what's different how can i influence it mm. and you kind of just build on from that and you really talk there about all the different environments you went on to kind of working you know from yeah. england rugby to the nba and whatnot what were some of the major characteristics in, I guess, that you saw within those environments that you felt like this is where it needs to go? This is, you know, this is the direction I wanted to go in. Um, and that supported you, obviously, in developing this, uh, as you put it, robust system. Yeah, it was interesting because I never went into one place at that time. I mean, I'm rec I know I'm aware of some now, but at that time and for those 10 years, I, I never found a place that had it all. But what I noticed was, little bubbles of effectiveness and because I was scanning for that and not scanning for any technical or tactical I was purely scanning for that I think possibly I picked things up that others hadn't seen so I had coaches that actually didn't realize what they were doing but actually for some certain players it was really effective and what I what I did notice was those successful environments the coach was comfortable having dialogue the coach was um managing their state a lot better when they were having interactions it, it seemed like they were thinking 
before the interaction is this is the right one and they had the ability to just how they communicated with different people to know how to get the impact they wanted and i that was that was the big difference when i saw those little pockets of success interesting when i asked most of the coaches um and i was really mindful not to filter my questions and i was asking you know I'm interested in the the way you come to a decision when you interact with a, a team or a or a certain athlete, and no one at that time could really give me specifics. You know, they just well, it just felt mark right, Mark. Or I seem to make these players or athletes they seem to um, thrive in this, but I need to put a bit more time and patience into this athlete because I recognise they don't get it as easily. So there was a patience there. There was a recognition but actually they needed to adjust and be mindful to adjust how they communicated with different people, but still to not give up on them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think just within that, you know, you'd say that the, some of them had the ability to almost premeditate what that uh, interaction should look like and whether it was going to be effective or not. How, how does it, how does a coach get to that point? Cause I think traditionally, um, certainly from my observation, I'm, I'm, one of my roles is I work as a, a tutor for the FA work delivering some of their coaching courses within the grassroots community and what you tend to see especially within that environment is um an I say you do approach more often yeah yeah um and you know for a lot of coaches a lot of people you know coming having having maybe come through that themselves and now gone on to implement that themselves they've become very resistant to maybe a different type of approach how would you say that coach could get to that point where they're actually now able to take a step back and actually ask themselves beforehand whether this is the right approach for that particular interaction with uh, a, a, say, a group of players or even an individual in that moment? Well, to answer that first part of the question, um, one of the key elements that why do coaches coach in the way they do, if that makes sense, is I, I believe now it's a, it's a combination of their interpretation coached their interpretation when they see other coaches on tv the big profiling coaches uh, and also then the influences around them that have made them think in a certain way i i believe um, a lot of coaches i've never met a coach yet that deliberately attempts to uh, disrupt and, and do an effective practice session or game you know they're all passionate most aren't paid well so the the heart's in the right place the passion's in the right place but sometimes you don't know what you don't know so the challenge we have as well, the other challenge on top of that is when Athlete Centre, for an example, becomes, it's, it's quite recent, last 10 years, it's, you know, it seems to be one of the, another common fashion things to say. But my challenge has been when people say they're Athlete Centre or Person Centre, when I've watched them, they're not. All they're doing is standing around asking a bunch of questions. And there's a lot of disengaged players, a lot of standing around. So here's the first challenge. If a coach is is following a way of, look, I need to tell my players because when I do try and get them to think for themselves, they can't. So therefore, I need to tell them and remind them. They can't remember things, so I need to remind them. The challenge is, is if their experience of a different way is coaches standing around asking a bunch of questions, I'm not surprised they don't value that and want to change because for me, that's not need-centered at all. So in order for them to change, what they need to be is exposed to to see, because we're doers, we're practitioners as coaches, often the theory isn't good enough for us. We need to see it. They need to see an environment that they go, wow, that environment is awesome. I can see the players thinking, they're making decisions live, the interaction is fast. It's still a tough 
uh, place to be because I, I believe a lot of coaches feel athletes then is a bit softy softy approach so that discredits what it should be anyway so they need to see it and when they see it then they're like oh okay I this is this is a value and then it's unpicking okay where are you in relation to this so so now we need to get to you say you coach like this but how where's your baseline when did you last film yourself when you weren't on a course just to watch and listen back to your interaction to see how accurate you are and how you think you coach compared to how you actually coach so one is seeing a value in it so you need to see that what it should look like and then secondly establish yeah, your own baseline in the process of them establishing their own baseline i think it that itself can be quite a difficult process for some coaches because obviously not having access to stuff like video footage uh, for whatever reason or and those other other reflective methods what would you suggest to those in in that in that sense I think what's the one good thing about technology at the moment, and I'm I'm negative a lot of it. I think a lot of it, which we can go into a bit later, of why it's it's been killing um, coach development. One of the good things about technology now it's cheap. So if you have a mobile phone, you can press voice record and put it in your phone and, and run a coaching yeah. session and at least listen back to your voice. So and there's cameras now. I mean, I know that I I'm a big fan of the cameras that are on the chest on a chest harness. So you can actually, instead of a camera on the sideline, you can see when you watch back, you can see what you saw at the time and what you heard, where the players are looking for you, what you saw at the time. Whereas the problem with the camera on the side is it's not giving you the vision of what you saw. So you can't really reflect on that because actually you may not have seen what you see on that angle. So you can only review based on what you saw. So there's cameras now that do that for 20, 30 pounds. And I would suggest, even if you're a grassroots coach, that's a worthy investment if you're following a need-centered approach because you'll be using that often. And also you can put that on players and go, right, you play a game, just have this on your chest and I'll just send it to you and just, you know, let's reflect and review how you think you did, what worked, what didn't. So there's many tools you can use. And I think technology now is so cheap. I don't see an excuse, even if it's just voice record on your phone and put your mobile in your pocket that will prevent you from establishing some sort of baseline. The challenge is, is having the, the courage for some to actually do that, to, to actually go, I, I want to know, as opposed to I'm, I'm doing it because someone will find fault to me. Just actually, I'm inquisitive. I want to know, do I coach in the way I think? And that, that I, I believe that's the first hurdle. So, once we get past that and people go, oh, my God, I hate the sound of my voice, and they get through it, they'll actually find it very cathartic and actually really You know, One of my roles, I currently deliver, deliver coach education courses with the FA. What would you say are some of the strategies and ways that you've gone about maybe bringing coach to that thought process where they can actually now take a step back and just be more inquisitive around what they're actually doing or whether it is right for their environment? Yeah, so first of all, they need to see the value in change um, or the the um, open to change, but not yet agreeing what's going to change because there's a difference in that. So wh what I always say to coaches is I'm ever mentoring is just I'm really interested in how you coach and why you coach. So can you just record yourself? And I'm interested in you sharing with me what you coach, why you coach and how you coach based on the interaction. So um let's i'm sure you guys don't do it, but i give you an example of how some mentoring and tutoring is quite poor uh, and i'll relate it to teaching um as a great example is you'll have a teach developer or mentor that will watch a class 
uh, teachers running a class. And then at the end of the class, they've got a big board full of notes. And then they say to the teacher, how did you think you did? And the teacher often, because they haven't got a framework of evaluation, go, oh, yeah, I think I did quite good, maybe. Um, talked a bit much there. And that's pretty much it. You get a very filtered and reduced non-specific. And then, then the mentor or the coach developer, teacher developer, reels off these notes of, well, I noticed this and I think you could have done this. Well, for me, that is horrendous and ineffective in the development. So for me, step one is once they've, they're open to the idea of change, establishing baseline reality, just having that discussion. But the principle is they must go first. And we're breaking it through. Don't look at the game, the tech tack. I'm just interested through time notes. Just take a little time notes, one minute, 10, four, 10. And a bullet point of your interaction or was there an in intervention that you should have done then? Or maybe I should have stepped back and let that play out. Or was that one to one or how to ask a question? If we agreed something, did they go and do it? Or did I just look for something else? Was the success criteria clear? All these little questions just to stimulate thought and awareness. And then from that, we need to reference back to what I call the lighthouse. And what, what I mean by the lighthouse is, is agreeing what great coaching looks like. Because the challenge is, if a coach has an interpretation of, of what great coaching is, which is different to yours, then you're going nowhere. Because basically, because your framework of reference is different. So the framework of reference needs to be the same in order to have the dialogue to support yeah, any just, requirement just for change, if that makes sense. Your perception of what a great coach should look like is... is miles away from the i guess that the, the the coach in that in that respect and you can't quite come around to a point of agreement with them if that makes sense yeah so i use this basic questioning of process i do this with teams as well and what's beautiful with my system is the principles i use with the coach are the same principles the coach used with his athletes or her athletes so how it works is this is a simple version is i ask the coach um if if I was to watch your team in a match or, you know, any situation, competition, um, and what is the dream? What are you working towards? If I was to go and watch it and observe it and I was stood in the stands with you, what would I see, hear and feel? Could you describe in detail the yeah. type team you want to develop and really get into the details? So if I give you a made-up example, which is really common traits, say, well, Mark, what I want is – I want players that are engaged all the time. They're reading and scanning well. So what I mean by scanning is they're often or on the ball, they're continually looking for opportunities, threats, they're reading the game. I want them to adjust their choice and decision based on what they see in front of them, not just run plays. And I want them to not be influenced negatively by score lines or by the opposition. I want them to be relentless. I want them to commit to every choice. But I want them to adapt live. I want them to back each other. The communication needs to be really effective. And I want them to be relentless throughout the whole game. So so now, if that was us, and we could go in a bit deeper, but as a shortened example, if they're saying that to me, then I go, okay, great. Love that. So if that's where we want them to get to, you didn't mention you as coach. So yes. what are you doing? in this lighthouse what where are you here are you saying you want players to be able to make decisions for themselves live on the on the pitch without without the need for you to tell them and then the coach saying well yeah that's the ideal that's what i want they're not doing it at the moment i need to remind yeah, just them on that but thing, that's where i want to get to Jefferson, i want to take you back to the first point because it, it, these are quite similar questions to what i often ask uh, some of the learners that i come across um and yeah. It's very similar in the context of the question with slightly different wording. So my question would be along the lines of 
if I was coming along to watch a team today, there was no representation of who who was doing what. Every single player happened to be in a black kit because both teams left their kit and their bibs at home. How would I identify your team? Could you describe to me what characteristics I'd expect to see if your team was doing everything you needed them to do or wanted them to do? Um, and then similarly, I'll yeah. you know, follow suit, follow up that. Okay, now if you were, if there was a coach working in your organization that was trying to bring out the principles that you would hope to develop within your teams, what are the behaviors you'd expect to see from that coach? Um, now, I guess the question, the, the question that I was going to come from that is, you talked there about potentially being able to go into deeper example. How do you potentially get those coaches who are maybe not even thinking on a deeper level to even be considerate of those things at this point in time? to maybe start to consider right what do the behaviors look like what are the what are the, the mind you know the the minute details from a place perspective so you talked there gave one about maybe having the place to become more reflective some coaches um depending on what level you're they're working at and what they've been exposed to may not even be considering those sorts of things how do we start to delve deeper and i guess get, get them to open their minds to a deeper level of thinking on that on that note well, let's let's delve into the differences between how you ask those yeah. questions and the lighthouse question. So the challenge with how you've asked that question is you're asking them yeah. to reference where they are now. So the problem with that is now they're referencing a limitation on right. stuff yeah. that they may not have thought of. So they're restricting yeah. the dream, if that makes sense. They're not. It, what we want them to do is just go, look, we're not asking about them at all. We're asking the ideal. If I was to watch yeah. a team, the dream, what would it look like to you? You see here. So now we've taken them out of the picture. So now they're not attempting to quantify how they coach or their parameters. They're just going, well, this would be phenomenal. So no restrictions, no limitations. Now, often from that, you will get things like, well, players making effective decisions live. That is a common one I always hear. You know, adapting to the opposition effectively. That's another one I often hear. So once I get that and then ask the question about, okay, so what is a coach doing now in this dream? And you go, well, actually, not a lot, Mark, to be honest. Uh, making sure that the subs are ready, subbing at the right time, making sure before the match they're clear on their roles and responsibilities, half time, making sure they're in their best state, getting the best out of them. And any tactical observations I've seen that they've missed, that process. So once we get that point, my next question is the big one is, OK, so what do we need to do in practice, each practice to facilitate those those qualities? What what do we need to do? So now we're stepping back to practice. So now we're going, OK, so if these are the facilitators we want, what does practice need to look like to facilitate it now? Through a journey, and it might take 10 minutes, 20 minutes of, of that type discussion, we want to get the coaches to recognise, well, I need players to remember stuff. At the moment, I'm reminding them too much. I want them to think for themselves and make great choices. At the moment, there's some players that are just daydreaming a bit and practice, and I'm the one that's got to keep reminding them. So when I ask them a question, they just look at me blank. So what we're identifying there is, and this is the important element, There's a there could be a limiting belief that the players that coach is working with can't think for themselves because they're, they're basing that conclusion based on the experiences they've had with those players on the tools that that coach is using at the moment. So it's important not to discredit the coach because they're not aware of some of the tools, but that's why we want to get them to lighthouse first, no restrictions of players, teams, then coach, and then reference it back. So what are the elements we need to develop in practice? So then we link into, well, they need to meet 
They need to be remembering and recalling stuff without me reminding them. They need to be able to make decisions live and be relentless. They need to be in the present. Their scanning needs to be better, Mark, definitely. Their communication definitely needs to be better. So what we're doing now is once we get those highlighted where the coach is recognising where they need to be better, then we can start supporting with some tools that can help them develop that. But what we do is we pick one thing. So this is where we simplify everything. So if you could pick one thing that you go, Mark, if I could improve this within this team based on what we've talked about from the lighthouse, what would that one thing be that would give us our biggest hit? The coach then says that, and that's your starter. So what we do then is we still need to do the baseline. So I'm interested in where we are. We I use a strategy of baseline of a session to allow us to see where the players actually are. And I could explain what that looks like. Very quick, very easy, very effective. And from that, we just do an intervention based on that one work on. The one thing that coach said, Mark, if we could impact this area, it would be phenomenal for us. Just one thing. So we start little and we help build to get a positive reinforcement of an experience that will open the door to other opportunities, if that makes sense. That then, you know, how important is it that the coach, obviously the coach needs to buy into the process, but the environment the coach is working is suitable for that to take place, if that makes sense? Yeah, so, I mean, here's the challenge is if you're an assistant coach, this is difficult. If you're the head coach, it's not so difficult. Um, so at, at the moment, there will be a culture and environment. Now, here's the challenge. It may be an unconscious, subconscious environment that's just built based on the players and the coach without consciously the coaches identifying what type of culture they want and then actually putting real conscious focus on it early on of how do we build that. What often happens is within many sports is we have this chat pre-season and all these great words go on as trust, honesty, commitment, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is the only time you'll speak about that again is when things go horribly wrong. What we don't do is, okay, what would that look like to us? Let's agree what acceptable or unacceptable and exception would be where we are now. And let's agree the what if. So what if, if it's unacceptable, what are we agreeing? What are you doing itself? What are you doing with teammates? What do you want me to do? And then you do the same process where if we can only, if we can prioritize it, guys, and pick one, two, three things, what would number one be? And then in every practice session, you say, okay, so here, let's agree. We have to earn the right to talk about technical and tactical. We, we earn it by committing to what we've just agreed on that first work on. So if that is, if that is something like effective communication, well, let's agree what that looks and sounds like. Let's set the UAEs against that, the unacceptable acceptable and exceptional can you can we go out and let's see let's run one minute two minutes could you show me exceptional now then agree the what is if it doesn't so then you say okay here's the thing if we're unacceptable in communication we've now agreed what ifs what we're going to do itself within players and then what i'm going to do if you guys don't but if it's unacceptable we cannot talk about tech pack so what we're doing now is we're shifting the things we've said are important at the beginning of the season we're saying well, guys, this is a skill like anything else. But at the moment, it's not every time. It's not embedded. So if we don't put priority on it, nothing's ever going to change. So do we see the value and the impact in it? Yes. Okay, well, let's put priority on it. Let's put focus on it in every single practice session. So how many times have you heard um, over time where people say communication is so important, it's killing us in a game? But then how many times has communication been the success criteria for a practice session on top of the session plan? I would suggest not often, if ever, um, unless people yeah. have gone through some sort of training intervention. So if it's critical, why isn't it high up in our session plans to develop, to keep it in the front of our athletes' minds, 
to help them develop it, to improve it, to embed it and then load the pressure. So it becomes game day. It's a quality that they can apply as opposed to it's right. the thing that's always killing and us. And then, you know, just on that then, you know, what cause some of the things, you know, throughout the conversation, you've had specific uh, repetition of certain words. I'm just curious within this whole process, is there is there an element of that which talks to yeah. or which covers terminologies? Yeah, so... One thing you really need to do is is agree common language. So everyone understands when we say this word, what does it mean? The other element that is a game changer is pre-agreeing what they look like based on a referencing. So I use the UAEs, unacceptable, acceptable, and exceptional. So if we're going to put something in, it can even be a, a tactical process, doesn't matter. But we certainly within our behaviors, we agree. So communication example, what is unacceptable can you show us what that looks like? What acceptable is, but what would be exceptional? What can we stretch for? Agree what it looks like. Pre-agree. That's the important thing. You pre-agree. So there's referencing. So what we often don't do, we're pretty gray on what is good and what is bad, but we haven't pre-agreed so we understand clarity. It may just be a conversation, but can you show me now? And then we haven't agreed the what ifs. So if it's unacceptable, what are we going to do? What are you going to do itself? What are you going to do, teammates? And then if that's not working, what am I going to do? But here's the thing. My aim is that you can do it without me. So I, I'm stepping in last right now. In the, in the past, I've been the one reminding you when it's been terrible, but I've let it go for 10, 15 minutes because we've ha had to cover the content on the session. So actually, I haven't put it as priority. And then I'm not surprised why we haven't changed under pressure. Yeah. So if that makes yeah, that, sense. That, that, that whole... Um, you know that system of the UAE. Where where does that come from, and you know how was that developed? It's just over time to to simplify elements. So what I did find over time is um, one of the barriers a lot of coaches had across all sports and in business, uh, working corporate sector as well, is a, a boss or a coach will or a teacher will have a preconceived idea of what is acceptable, unacceptable within their head. But the problem is. They haven't made that clear that everybody that's going to be involved in that action understands the same of what unacceptable, acceptable looks like. So what happens is the coach may have a perception of this is terrible, but the players might go, I think this is all right. So then you get this conflict. I mean, let's look at a warm up, for example. A coach may have clear in his head what acceptable and acceptable is in the behaviors and the commitment in a warm up. Players may have a totally different perception. So what's going to happen is now is, Players are thinking, well, I think this is all right, I'm committing. And the coach is looking and saying, that player is not committing. Well, the, the challenge there is not is not the fact whether they're committing or not, is we haven't agreed what acceptable or unacceptable is beforehand as a reference that we agree to actually have so a dialogue if it is unacceptable. Would you say that the UAE so, needs to be brought in right at the start of any, uh, any engagement of, a, I guess, a coach with a team or a coach with a group of players? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good tool. Um we pre-agree it becomes very quick very simple so we we pre-agree are what i call non-negotiables so these are the statement in my business has always been is behavior is performance is a behavior not an outcome so what i mean by that is we can't control results but we can influence performance we influence performance the, the base of that where the, the source of performance comes from is effective behaviours. Me being in the right state as a player and a coach, me scanning effectively, me making great choices and committing to 100% and reviewing choice and execution live consistently. 
and then accepting feedback and interacting effectively with my teammates around me. So they're the behaviors that facilitate performance that impact on results. So if we backtrack to that, then if we are very, very clear on actually what the UAEs of behaviors are just for us, what do they look like in, in warm-ups, in practice, in games, whatever it may be, and then the what-if interventions, it makes it very, very easy as a referencing that everyone understands and then everyone knows the permission of if it's not effective based on what we pre-agreed, what can I do about it? So it's that clarity and what where the challenge always has been before is, and let's look at it, we do the same actually in sessions. So if you think about it, you may have 10, let's look at, I, I won't mention any names, but this is a trend we have. So I've seen where even perceived top coaches have 10 things on their session plan. And they're so focused on covering the 10 things on their session plan, they're not looking at, is it effective? So they'll say, oh, okay, we've got 10 yeah. minutes on this, 15 yeah. minutes on this, 20 minutes on this. Then we'll finish off with live open play. But actually what we're not saying is, well, hang on a minute. If I've got 10 things on there, what's my number one? What's my number two? What's my number three? I'll never compromise one for two. I'll never compromise two for three. So we're ready where we're ready. We're not going to just, if I don't cover all those things, that's fine. What I've got to do is actually make sure we're actually facilitating learning, engagement, and understanding. Yeah. So it may take longer than I think. But what's going to facilitate that is the behaviours that I need to pre-agree. So here's the reality. If players aren't committing, why are we talking tech-tack? The problem is they haven't committed to the choice. So why are we talking about the tactics? We should be talking about, actually, we didn't commit. Well, there's a problem. So Go again. This time, commit. Refer to why are we talking about tech-tack? Are you are you suggesting that in in those contexts then that the tech tech should be seen almost as a, a reward element? It should. I don't see it as a reward. I see it as as understanding what will interfere with success in technical and tactical, and what interferes with it is is players not being present, athletes not being present, athletes not reading the game, so actually scanning well to make good choices based on what they understand and committing. So they are the fundamentals before you can discuss that. Before we know, Tech Tech has got a chance of being yeah. successful. It's those bits before. So if we place, let's 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 break that down. So first of all is state. So the reality is, if your state isn't effective, so if you're now thinking about a missed tackle, or you've just conceded a goal, or you disagree with the ref, your head is not in the present right now. So you will not be scanning effectively. So therefore, you will not collate the data that you need to in order to make the best choice based on what you see. So now your choice will be effective. And then if your state's poor, you will also not commit 100% to that choice. So already now, because of one element before we can talk about tech tech is negatively impacting both your choice and your execution, a coach has to identify, hang on a minute, I've seen the wrong choice there or the poor execution. I need to scan myself and backtrack. Where's the source of that issue? So now I'm recognised, well, actually, it's scanning is the issue. Well, my intervention needs to be at scanning, not at tech attack. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's kind of, where's the source of the issue? Well, actually, the intervention should be there. I'm even looking no, definitely. for it. So just within that whole process of, you know, a lot of this is almost uh, developing a self-awareness of one um, and also, you know, looking at your own behaviours and just reflecting constantly. It's that ongoing reflection. How much of that is... Um, should we then you know look to kind of connect with our with our athletes on that level so how much of that would be allowing the athletes to actually have a say or 
then you know give their observations around what they're observing from us if that makes sense yeah so one of the key things that we're not good at in team sports of basketball rugby football lacrosse hockey etc etc is we want players to think for themselves and make good choices and reflect live and adapt but we don't formally train them in an action review process so what ends up is coaches have to ask a ton of questions at times or sometimes they go well, i haven't got time to ask questions i'll just tell them what they did wrong shout at them whatever it may be or tell them the answer so actually we're not we're not developing the type of player we want linked to the lighthouse because what we haven't done is taught them an action review process. So here, here's the point. Yes, we want them. If you think about it, our aim is we want them to recognize when they're unacceptable live. Yeah, we want them to prevent it, but there's times when we won't because there's opposition adaptability variables. So we want them to recognize if they're unacceptable in what? In their commitment, in their scanning, in their choice or their execution, and then conclude immediately within seconds and adapt next time. Bang. We don't want to wait to have the discussion for them to tell us the answer. We want them to show us the answer. So that's first step. Second step is if they're doing something exceptional, I want them to recognize it as well. So if I'm only asking questions when a player does something wrong, the player now will be loaded. So if I go, Johnny, talk to me. Johnny goes, okay, well, I must have done something wrong because that's the only time coach asked me a question. Where was I? I was in defense on the right. What could it have been? Well, it could only be one or two things. Coach this and then the coach goes great you know well done yeah well he doesn't know it's a learned answer so because we haven't taught them an action review so if you teach them an action review here's the first question that can help facilitate anything you're scanning you've seen something you don't know if the players recognized or not what they did in the actions they took or where's the source of the issue so what you can do and there's many variables so you know i'm just giving you one one of the options could be you don't stop play you rotate a player and the player comes off quickly you go danny Talk to me. What did you see in here over there? So the first question is, what did you see in here? The, the question isn't about tech tack. So now the player's thinking, oh, coach hasn't indicated whether it's wrong, wrong or you know, unacceptable, exceptional, because coach does this all the time. So now I have to share what I saw and heard. So now they're sharing their data capture. Now, straight away, now the coach is listening but actually they're getting quantifiable information. So now if the players miss something that will influence choice, now the coach knows why they made that choice because they didn't pick something up on the scanning. So now the coach can put the intervention in there. Another area might be that actually when the player scans, remember the coach is stood in a different place, so they're not going to see the same data. So what might be then when the player says, right, well, actually this is what I saw and heard, the coach is now going, oh, I didn't see that. Now that's influencing my judgment on that player of the choice I made. So then, then you go into, okay, so what were your options from that? And the player goes, right, I had this option, this option, this option. Okay, where were the influence of the variables? Like, okay, so I couldn't do that because Danny wasn't even looking at me, so therefore I couldn't have made that long shot into that break because he wouldn't have spotted it in time. Stevie, I'm seeing he's knackered now. He's been on for 20 minutes and his, his legs are down, so I, I couldn't do that. He wouldn't accelerate in time. This option was the best option, so this is why I went for that option. So straight away now, the coach is listening, and the player is giving them real data based on a basic action review process, which is, which is helping the coach so much. And giving a player guidance of thought in the same guidance of thought we want them to do live in a game. So imagine you do this every practice session. Your framework of questioning is based on the sequence of thought you want them to do live 
what how different is that than traditional question you know it kind of resonates with me in some of the things i ask my players and i I tend to consider myself as a coach who really wants to challenge his place to start thinking out thinking about everything that they're doing and why they're doing it so quite often the questions are you know in alignment with what you're saying in the sense that what what did you see that caused you to make what that 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 led you to making that decision what was it that you observed about the environment or the opposition or whoever that might be what were the things that you took into consideration making that decision and it's just really bringing their awareness to that so it's not necessarily to say that there's a right or wrong decision within this but it's more just us coming to a a a joint understanding around what the process was if that makes sense Um, yeah and also linked into that is as you as you point out there and it's an important point we need to do this as coaches when they do things exceptional and unacceptable as well. So if they do something exceptional, they make a great choice that they haven't made before. Maybe they might be a player that under pressure, they always go to the same choice. And in this time under pressure, they went for a different choice than normally do. And you thought that was great. You're checking. Did you see any from that player that recognized like a thumb up or a hand touch? Go, oh, I love that. It was awesome. You didn't see a response. So you're thinking, has a player connected with it? Well, that for me is a hot review moment right there. So we do the same okay, talk to me, what happened over there? Now, once they get used to the action review process, you don't have to ask them what they saw. You just say, talk to me over there. And they go through, right, this is what I saw. These were the options. These were the variables. And this is why I went for that one. And actually, it was the right choice. Wouldn't change anything. And then you come in after that. Then you go, I totally agree, Stevie. That was awesome. That's the best time I've seen you do a different choice under pressure. Love that. Bang. And back in. So that is kind of 40 seconds, 30 seconds, and they're back in play. But Imagine now you as a coach, as now I know the players recognize they quantify it wasn't luck. They actually made conscious decisions based yeah. on scanning choice variables. But also now there's positive reinforcement. That player's done something in stretch. Now they've quantified to me and now I've let them know that was awesome. So that's why we want to be doing the exceptional and the unacceptable. But can you see the subtle difference by us just saying, talk to me or what yes, did you see? It, and you nothing know, it else. Almost say look there is some there's some things that are taking place in here have you observed what those things are or have you just made that decision without actually taking in why you've made that decision if that makes sense um, it's almost I guess you know yeah. the kind of question I have leading on from that and obviously that's an interaction between a coach and a co- uh, player and really trying to help that player develop their awareness and hopefully the coach raising their under- developing their understanding around what the player has observed and I guess acted upon however Building on from that, is there any particular conversations or questions that maybe players could be asking one another in those moments to support each other? It's the same. So you use the same action review process. So I've developed a system called the rule of three. And we share everything here. We share overtly with the players. There's nothing secret here. The only secret thing is covert recalls, which you can talk about later. So we share the rule of three. And the rule of this, this is a very simple version. There's a lot more to it than this, but... Rule of three is at one, we are pursuing excellence. Excellence is doing the best we can with what we have in the present moment. So what does that look like for us? So we pre-agree that. Okay, so that's me managing my state, being effective, being present, scanning, making effective choices and committing to them 100%. That's me. And helping my players be the best they can be. What does that look like? So one, that's one. So rule of two is, if you now see two is, so one is itself, two is you're scanning for others. If you see someone now unacceptable in behaviours that are pre-agreed, two is you reach out to have an effective impact. So it's not reaching out and saying, Danny, speed up, or Danny, you need to go faster, or that was wrong, Danny. That's that's not using the action review process. 
So what we want to do is how can you be effective? So, so we're back to asking what's effective communication, which is important. It's the same as understanding meaning. So effective communication isn't it's loud, it's clear, blah, blah. It's, that's nonsense. Effective communication is if it has a desired impact. If it has a desired impact, it's effective. It doesn't matter how effective you've said. If it doesn't have the desired impact, it is ineffective. So now what we use is we use at rule of two is I use what I call the three A's. So if you're receiving information from another player, whether it's based on your behaviors at a reset or actually a tactical choice, then what we do is the three A's is I accept internally. So even if I don't like how it's being said, I know that they're saying it with good intentions. So that's that's the first day. The second one is acknowledgement. So acknowledgement is if they're close enough as a hand touch, if it's distance, I give a thumb up. I've acknowledged, I've heard. Yeah, I've taken it on, I've accepted, I've acknowledged. The third A is I act on it. So now it's action. So me as a coach now is watching it too. Some player says something to another player. I'm now, how did they react? How did they interact initially? How was the reaction? Did I see the three A's? If I didn't see the three A's, I'm now looking, what is that player that's first given the information doing about it? Because can't let it go. And then if that's not effective, then I can step in at three. Three is coach steps in. And there's many interventions you can do within that. There's resets, there's one-to-ones, there's group, doesn't matter, there's tons of them. So we share that with the players. So we say to the players, the aim is not to get to three. I want you to self-manage and interact together effectively at one and two. So one is the dream, but the reality is no one's ever going to be nailing at one. So we're here to help each other be the best they can be. So be effective at two in behaviours first, then in tactical. But the three A's is that if someone's reaching out to you, you have to acknowledge, you have to accept, acknowledge and act. So now we're developing this environment where they understand the permissions and you're, you're relentless scanning for these. So you're helping players help players. And the action review is the same. So in, in a learning session, so there's not high pressure, it's not game. We're saying when a guy's jogging back, they can say, Stevie, Julie, what did you see over there? So that's the player talking to a player as they're jogging back. And they're going, well, actually, I saw this. Did you notice Danny was out wide on the left? Side? I didn't see that. Oh, well, that, I should have kicked over the top. And they go, great. Seconds jogging back in a position. It's, that, it's the same questioning. So this is the beauty of that language. It's common. We don't have to explain a lot because everyone knows when someone says that word, that's what it means. But it's inquisitive. So under pressure, clearly in a game under pressure, we may at times, because obviously we develop this in practice so people will learn and make better decisions, but there may be a time when Danny just needs to say to Stevie, Stevie, wider on the whip. And Stevie just reacts positively, thumb up and they move to the whip. So it's understanding, it's the same with coach, it's understanding, it's not that you can't tell them, there are times when that's okay, but we want to go to a point where they can self-manage themselves and self-adapt to make good choices. And then their peers can do it with them. And then it's the coach. So that makes sense on that light and shade, but there's a framework where people understand the permission yeah, and what one, that looks one thing like. That kind of what stands out for me there is obviously a conversation I've had with a few other people in the past, the difference between a, uh, an athlete-centered approach and an athlete-led approach. Um, in that, obviously, the athlete-centered does not mean, that, or if it's athlete-centered, doesn't mean the coach can't have an active role in what's going on or... Uh, get involved in the process whereas obviously if it's athlete led then that's you know slightly different you're almost relieving all the responsibility to some extent to the athletes in that respect would you mind just talking to maybe some of the experiences you've had in the resistance 
from some coaches in I guess adopting these approaches because obviously you know a lot of coaches we just talked about it earlier some of their some of them were based on their their own experiences um, and how that you know th- th- this this way of working might be completely foreign to them and completely contradictory to what they what they know and believe to be effective coaching. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm a lot better now than I used to be. I think in the past I can I was coming across. Um, I was a bit scary in the way that, you know, I was coming and ask, asking inquisitive questions of, of identifying, but actually that coach, no one had ever asked that level of deep questioning. And then if they gave a general response, kept delving and some were really getting blockers up with me coming in. So I've learned over the time, it's just, is getting them to understand that I massively see value in the passion and commitment they have. And I'm really interested in how and why they coach and where their barriers are, and then having a discussion, would you be open to additional tools that may help you with that challenge you have? Uh, The big thing also is getting people, and this is why I don't use athlete-centred now, and I call this need-centred, because too many athlete-centred are not athlete-centred when they say they are. So it's given it a negative uh, association with some coaches that may not support Mm. that way, if that makes sense. So the other element is making sure they understand, look, need-centred is light and shade so it's not standing around asking questions it's getting players to take responsibility to make decisions more for themselves high pressure in play but there's also times when you can tell you can do a drill if you want to you can do constraints if you want to but if you do them you understand why you're doing them and it's in that moment it's not for a full session so it's it's letting them know oh so you're telling me it's not I'm a bad coach. There's times when I can still tell. There's times when I need to do this. You're not saying I just need to stand on the side and do nothing and ask questions. And you go, yeah, definitely. And often that breaks down that barrier of perception of what athlete-centered is. So we need to break away that there's so many bad people that say, oh, this is athlete-centered or game approach is the only way. You can only do game approach or you can only do constraints. And my view is actually coaching is inclusive. So you can use any tool you want. Your aim should be it should be game based, and because we're that's what we're preparing for. But actually, if there's a time when you go, actually, you could slot this in for five ten minutes that will help them understand a certain play and step back out in the live play. I can use constraints, but I want players to think for themselves. So let me give them the tools, but also then I need to be aware of how effective and what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. So I need to evaluate myself regularly to see if what I'm doing is effective. So. There's a responsibility of coach of just, I'm interested in self-awareness, but also breaking away the barrier that athlete-centred sits over here and traditional coaching sits 10 miles the other way to say, actually, effective coaching is a full light and shade of everything. The skill is knowing when, but still linked to your lighthouse of mm. my aim is to make... And just on that, you, know, you talked there about the skill of the coach. Just curious now, in relation to that, do you rephrase or... Uh, yeah, rephrase or, or alter the question slightly depending on what level of coach you're working with in those moments? I think now, I mean, there's, there's only really now two ways I get to a coach. So the common way is they've already listened to a podcast or they've seen video clips I've shared of live practice showing this and they've got in contact with me. So already then the, they're already inquisitive of something. The other way, which is sometimes the most challenging, is their boss, their managing director or their their owner said, Mark, I want you to come in. Um, I'm thinking of moving these coaches on, but actually I think you can help them. And they bring me in and the coach may not even want me there. So there's the challenge there. 
So that's me just making sure they understand. I'm here to support them. And actually, I'm just interested in what they're doing because nothing may change. Um, but let's connect with, do you see the value in getting some external support that's just a bit more objective? We can have a discussion. Yeah. Just start there. I think it's just important they understand. Oh, so you're coming in and you're you're interested in me. Um, you're not so much coming in to try and sell me something yeah. or tell me I'm a bad coach, etc. So I think that's initiating that conversation and then using little moments of positive reinforcement. So example with the Premiership rugby team, a few years ago, um, the head coach brought me in. Um, the assistant coaches didn't know I was coming in, and you know. And the head coach said, "Look, I'm bringing Mark in. I've worked with him years ago. He's phenomenal at what he does. But you need to decide whether you work with him or not. So give him a week, and he'll come in. And at the end of the week, if you don't want to work with him, then that's cool. But at the end of the week, we can review it. So what I'm asking you to do just to exploit him. Let's see where you get any value from and you can make the decision. So we, we deliberately set it up that way. So straight away then the coach going, okay, it's up to me. And all I did, I just put cameras on them, you know, on the chest and we just, you know, I'm just really interested in, in what you coach, how you coach. And we just sat down and went through them inquisitively, just asking no real deep challenging questions, just inquisitive. And very quickly they were going, oh, you got a point there. I haven't thought about that. I said, yeah. So have, what if we did this just to measure long-term recall? What if at the end of, at the beginning of the next session, we just put a covert recall in where we didn't remind them on what we worked on two weeks ago or two days ago. We just threw a scenario in after the warm-up, and we step back and let's just check how well they've learned and how effective that's been. So they've gone, oh, that makes sense. So straight away you throw that in and they realize some of the players haven't recalled. So now we're going, well, okay, so what is it in that session we need to adjust to ensure that they learn. So now we're starting a conversation just by one reference of checking the covert recall. So you can see already now it's about they if they see the value, then the doors start to open. But it's making sure you don't then rush in as a waterfall. You just start, you know, dropping a little bit in, a little bit in and understanding every coach is different. So be mindful of the speed in which you're going with the individual coach you're in front of and, and work at their pace. The same as a coach with a player. So that back to the tools I use with coaches and organisations are the same tools I share with them to Definitely. use with their athletes. I delve deeper into that, that element of the, the covert recall. Can you mind just explaining in more detail around exactly what that is and how we go about utilising that? Yeah, so me, it's, it's one of the um, critical elements of uh, all my interventions. One of the key things is we, we will never know how effective a session was in that session. It's impossible. And, and why is it impossible? Well, it's impossible because you're all in short-term recall. You've just been talking about the very thing you're working on. It's in the front of someone's mind. So, And actually, if you're giving them too much information, they, it may be like a pawn on a chess set. They, they just may be doing what that you've just told them to do. So then you're putting in live play. It's still in their mind. You're still reminding them. So it may look great, but actually, we still don't know if it's effective or not. So where the covert recall comes in. So the next session or two sessions time and the first element to do it, I always say, do it straight after a warm up. So straight after the warm up, go straight into a scenario of live play and you can use constraints a little bit. But the key is not to make it so drill or closed that they know what you expect. Just don't remind them. Don't say, guys, remember what did we work on last week? Absolutely nothing. Just throw the scenario in and the coach steps back and scans. What you're looking for is you're looking for and scanning for the element we worked on in that session before or two sessions before. And we're looking for 
how's the recall how's the execution based on what you saw in that session in that short-term recall so here's what's going to happen either they nail it and you go that session was clearly effective because now they're applying it without any reminders at the level that they were before or some are some aren't okay so that's telling me a few things it could be telling me we're not doing it regularly enough to think in it's connected with some but with were they more engaged than the others at the time? So I need to recall back on that. Or there's poor recall or no. So that's telling me that session was ineffective. That's my fault with the coach, not theirs, because no one's recalling it. So now I can ask myself questions. Was Did I put too much content in? Did I give them too many answers? Um, was it more ABC and not situational where they had to make choices? So there's a ton of more questions we can ask in that. But now what we're saying is, I'm now analyzing and data logging the effectiveness of the learning. What I can do then also, I can load different pressure loads. So what I do is I data capture all this. So on a simple Excel sheet, I've got all the content covered. Um, and then in, the, in that session, we do short-term recall under what level of pressure, open play level of pressure, length of time, and tick whether, whether short-term recall, it was a yes or a no. Then we have the covert recalls with the dates and what the scenario is. And then we have a tick with comments or across. So if we start getting ticks, that's building the confidence in the players and you that actually how you're running that session is, is becoming effective because there's transferability in game without reminders under levels of pressure. If there's crosses, you know those sessions are ineffective. You need to change them. So we need to dissect now what is what is preventing us from being successful in that session what am i doing that i need to change so one it's a good audit tool for the coaches but also it's a very good confirmation tool of confidence in the growth of the players you know one thing that kind of stands out for me there and it might be worth i guess picking up on is what is it is there any common um i guess occurrences in terms of the time spent on an activity and then the time between that and then the recall being more effective or less effective, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I, d I don't believe there's a time because, you know, it may be um, something that you've picked up in a game with a trend that in transition, people lose their width on the right in fast transition, turnover ball. So that's a small area you're working on. So you can load that. And actually, you can load that in every single live play session. You can keep someone to keep an eye on it, even if you don't. An assistant coach or a player that's injured or even a parent can go, can you just scan for this for me? So that may only take a short period of time. But what you're doing is you're checking it in every session because it's a critical element in transitional turnover ball. But there may be another element where, you know, you're, it may take longer just because it's something they're not used to. It's something that's way out of what they would normally do. So you're changing a certain shape in attack, offense, defense or long ball, short ball. So there may be so many variables in that that actually it takes longer. So the key thing is, is for a coach to be really comfortable with, it doesn't matter what I plan, I'm cool at tearing that up. I just need to prioritise what one is. And actually on a covert recall, I'm cool at tearing up my whole session plan on the principle of we are where we are. So it continually need to baseline that without me reminding them. So I need to check what can they do in live play. And then we're ready when we're ready. So if the players think they're ready, give them permission to go, guys, if you think you've got this, let me know and we'll put live pressure open play. Let's see. So my aim is then to see if I can catch you out. So now the players load up that pressure. So it's, uh, there's no, there isn't, a, it's taking away the set time. So you can make judgment on how long uh, certain things need, but the reality is, is what you see in front of you will determine that and your covert recalls will 
will give you clarity on whether that was successful or not. And you adapt you know, accordingly. Of, you know, potentially having to scrub your session plan. What does that? What, what exactly does that look like in the sense of if we can see they haven't quite recorded it? Do we revisit the last session? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah, basically. So, you know, you should be nailing, working on the most important first and building uh, through your journey over weeks and months, not not a hiccup of one thing in a game. It should be trends. So we're, we're now, we've worked on something because we know that was a critical element in the previous session or two sessions. I'm now doing a covert recall. It's now ineffective. Recall is unacceptable based on what we pre-agree. So now what I've got to say is that is what we're going to cover. So we have to have an open dialogue with the, with the players and other coaches is, okay, what's prevent us from being successful? Now, there's a step process you can go through for Covert Recall to measure where it sits. So it may be straight afterwards, you step back and no, it's not there. So you can pull them in literally 10 seconds. You go, guys, remind me what we worked on last time. Bang, we're going again. And that one trigger, and you may see a shift. So that's giving you some sort of data. If they go back out and they're still blank, that's going, well, definitely not gone in. So it wasn't just they know how to do it, they just forgot. It's actually that it's not even embedded in, you know, that cognitive area. So then you go, guys, okay, so this first phase of this session is we, we need to sort this out. So what do we need to be to be successful? Do we need to work through it again? Some players, have you got it? Can you? How long do you need with the other players to work it out? And we go back in the live play, whatever it is. And then when we nail that, then we can go, okay, so we now got 30, 40 minutes left. Okay, so then we do the first thing on that session plan that I'd planned, but I'm happy to drop the rest off. If it takes a whole session, it takes a whole session. So it's, you think about it, if we develop that within the players, the players now are more engrossed in actually these session plans just aren't what we do in the day, coach. These sessions are building us to be a better team in games. So we're not ticking boxes in a session anymore. So if we're not nailing it, we're nailing it next time. And we're ready when we're ready. So the engagement and understanding, it's not just what are we doing today, coach? Well, we're doing some cornering, some set pieces. It's its not about that anymore. And it, it really changes the relationship and the, the importance of the content for both players and coaches. Well, speaking of becoming an effective coach, you know, throughout this episode, how important is it then that we're aware of the types of coaching approaches that they've been, ex as in the athletes may have been exposed to before? And certainly before we're trying to adopt this way of working with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that lighthouse I mentioned at the beginning, we do that with the coaches, do that with the players. So at the beginning of the season, the first thing they do is they establish what that lighthouse is. You know, if we were to play in it, the dream we want to work towards, the ideal of us in a in a match, in competition, what would that look, sound and feel like? Reference that and then say, okay, based on that, what does practice need to look like to help you develop that? What do I need to do better as a coach? What do you need to do better as players? So once we reference that, then straight away we go out and we do this baseline thing. Now, there's many variants I'll share one with you, is we set two teams up and imagine if they know each other great, if they don't, there's just bibs and numbers on, and they have a whiteboard at the at their end of the pitch either side or, or just off the centre line 10 metres. And on that board is the either the names of the opposition or their bib numbers, again, if they don't know them yet. And what you're doing is say, right, guys, here's what we're going to do. You're going to play. And you're going to play for three minutes, four minutes, whatever it is, but quite short. And your aim is, when you're playing, to identify the strengths and weaknesses in the opposition and how you can exploit their weaknesses and shut down their strengths. And after the two, whatever you agree, the two, three minutes, whatever it is, you're going to sprint back to your board. I'm not going to be there. And you're going to write down individually strengths, weaknesses, and then a team strategy to be effective against that opposition. Then you have to live that alive. So then 
then then they they do that and you give them a, a short amount of time it might be 60 seconds 90 seconds but it has to be short so they have to get to the point then they go again your other thing is you're asking for guys whatever you agree to you've got to commit to so now i'm stepping back as i'm thinking i can stand and watch them and hear what they're saying but i can't get influenced i can't stand in the circle when they're riding on that board so i'm what i'm looking for then is i'm looking for who's scanning who's interacting who's positively or negatively been influenced by poor pass whatever when i'm watching it they're going to the boards who's talking who's listening are they picking up what i've picked up as a coach what's their strategy now i'm looking for now they go out are they applying the strategy who's applying it who's not if they're applying and it's not working who's identifying and who's attempting to change it and who's continued just to do it i'm, I'm this is all my data i'm capturing then they go back to the board, right? Did we, were we, did we commit to it? Yes. Was it effective? What do we need to change? We do that maybe three or four times. Then we bring them in. Okay, just review. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you take from that? And then we get them to share it with the opposition. Okay, can you share with blacks what you saw? Yellows, can you share? So now what we, we're getting them to understand, okay, now, guys, based on that lighthouse, where are we? Where are the areas we need to improve? Where are the areas that we're every time? Where are the areas that are sometime? Where are the areas we're... We're not there at all, linked into what we agree for the lighthouse. So straight away now, we're building so they understand. Then, then we connect with, okay, so in order to build this, what did you agree the coach needs to be in practice in order to be effective of you making your own decisions, coach not reminding you? So we're getting them to understand, irrelevant of their experience before. They see value now in actually it's up to us to help each other. It's up to us to read the game, and you're there to help us coach if we can't. But actually, we should be not relying on you as much. So we need to take responsibility. We need to. So we're, now we're connecting them with, okay, I get it now. I get what practice should look like, not what it looked like in the past. And then, then you build the next phases we haven't talked about, i.e., setting the UAEs of behaviors, the rule of three. But what we do is then we have to live it as a coach. So what we can't do is do that and say, this is what we're going to do. Then as soon as the next session is all and things don't go well, the coach gets wound up. And they just start shouting and telling the players what to do because you'll just discredit the whole thing. Back to coaches being self-aware of the state, coaches managing their state and having interventions of external support, coaches effectively scanning. Based on the scanning, coaching having a good set of interventions that they will choose based on what they see and then committing to those interventions. Then reviewing both their intervention and their interaction themselves in a practice and in games. The same action review process we're asking the players to do. Definitely. So I think like, just as we, you know, as we start to wind down now, then, would you mind just, del you know, delving through some, some of those how-to steps then in terms of what we as coaches, you know, just summarising those steps rather on what we as coaches could be doing to develop ourselves, um, well, bettering ourselves to, to create a better environment for our players then? Yeah, number one, uh, I mean, this is obviously I've got services where we, I run courses and online support, but I'm just looking if you could do on yourself. The first thing I'd always say do is identify your own lighthouse. What type of team in a game are you actually building towards? What What is it you actually want? Then connect back to, well, what how's my practice look like? Those elements I picked up in a game, how am I doing it developing them? Am I tech, tech loaded or am I developing the soft skills? So just have that reflection time. Then number one is film yourself. Even if it's using the phone, if you've got nothing else, there's technology out there that's cheap. Just film yourself in practice sessions if you haven't already. I'm not interested in anything apart from 
how you communicate, your interaction, what you say, how you say it, how the players react, how your scanning is, how your state is. Once you film it, all you want to do then is just watch it. And even in Word document, just do time notes of how you were in your state, the interventions you put in, how effective they were, what happened after the intervention, how did the players react to you, were you just asking questions to the same players, did you ignore these other players, how was their behaviours, how was yours, just time notes. Then find someone else, potentially in a different sport. And when I say different sport is, if you're in soccer, find someone in rugby or in basketball or in lacrosse or in hockey and just say, look, I'm doing this. Can I just send you a video and could you just do your time little notes on observation? Then we could just catch up on a Zoom or a phone call or coffee. I'm just interested if you're picking up things I aren't, explain to them, you know, what the elements are to focus on. The reason why doing it outside your sport is they won't get caught up in the technical tactical. They'll It'll be easier for them to look at your interaction and, and your behaviours as a coach and then have that dialogue. And then from that, just say, OK, well, I'm way off what I thought I was doing or I'm, I'm good with these, but this is the area I need to develop. And then pick one or two elements and only those elements of your work on and then search for tools that can help you build those areas. If you do that and nothing else, if you don't listen to any of my podcasts or anything else or use any of my tools, you just doing that is going to establish your reality and give you some guidance in literally where you need to develop as a coach based on how you want to be as a coach, based on your lighthouse. So simply, if everyone did that, that would be a game changer for me. And just to kind of, just to kind of finish up then, just delve onto that last one there. What are some key questions that you would want coaches to start to consider um, asking themselves and their players within those environments? Well, question one is, are you developing an environment where the players are relying on you? That's one. Two is, are you engaging with all players or are you favouriting some because they're giving you the answer you want? Um, have you noticed who's disengaged, who's engaged, who I call the ninjas and assassins, who are the highly motivated and who are the people, the disruptors or the disengaged? And what are you doing to develop them? Are you switching? Are you spending as much time with with those players as the others? So that's tons of questions. For me, they, they are the self-questions. Mark, can you hear me? Yes. So I lost you for a second. Um, okay. So you said, yeah, you, you were just saying they are, and then you cut out. Yeah, they, they are the two questions before anything else, because you can have a long list, but those two for me would be the big priorities. And the video was going to help you ask the question of, of both of those as well as reference. Are you doing what you think you're doing? Are you favouriting certain others? Are you, are you developing an environment where the players are relying on you or are you developing an environment where the players start relying on themselves? Brilliant. Uh, Mark, you've gone into a lot of detail today. I'm just curious now, you know, if there's anywhere where listeners could potentially get in touch with any questions or, or wanted to get, you know, access to some of your services, where they could actually get in touch with you on. Yeah, so my, my website is pdscoach.com, the Pardel to Sierra. I am pdscoach.com. On there, there's 
There's all my online services, organizational team and individual coach, also live intervention support, but also there's a ton. I think there's nearly 30 podcasts now. There's a YouTube link with videos to this in live practice. So not rehearsed. This is raw um, coaches using these principles. You'll see young players doing hot reviews, the interaction, the self-evaluation. Um, so there's a there's a ton there. And my Twitter is PDS Coach as well. And I'll, I'll, we do a lot of Q&As. Again, we share a lot of links and podcasts and video links as well, little footage examples. So even if even if you want some free support, there's there's tons of it there. But if you really want to get stuck in with some real one-to-one support team, organizational yourself, then there's services there as well to go to. Well, there you have it, guys. You've been listening to another edition of the Coaches Network How-To Series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests, break down some action or how-to steps for you to reach your full potential. Now, I've got no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again, guys. You know, your support is massively appreciated. So thanks again for everyone that's been tuning in and please do get in touch with us and today's guest to let us know where you're listening from, to share your thoughts, your views and your key takeaways from today's show. Along with any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the show and any topics you'd like to hear discussed, ultimately, guys, the show is about you guys. So let us know what you're interested in, who you're interested in listening from, to get us and get in touch. And on that note, guys, you can get in touch on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. But please do not forget to use the hashtag The Coaches Network. That was the hashtag The Coaches Network. We need as much support we can get to keep this great content coming out to you. Now, lastly, guys, I just want to say keep an eye out for our socials on the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with our panel. Until next time, guys, take care and have a great day. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.